Travis Johnson. Hello, Annette Marie Wittenberger. <laughs> How are you doing today? You know what? It's kind of been an okay day. I had a fantastic lunch. It was gorgeous outside. Low 70s, nice breeze on the waterfront. Had this amazing Philly cheesesteak and probably the best old fashioned I've ever had. How was your day? Well, nothing compared to that. <laughs> you know what? I have to say something about the old fashioned because my cousin taught me that oh, about four or five months ago and I am not that kind of a drinker at all. But he gave me an old fashioned at his house and so now I had it at Mick. You were at Mick, right? I was deployed. Oh, that's right. I'm sorry. Okay. Well, <laughs> sorry. We won't talk about how much fun Mick was then. I'm just kidding. Um, no, I had it at Mick, and I was at the bar, and I was drinking old-fashioned. I was like, this is kicking my ass because I don't drink like that, but it's good. What do you mean? It's just a drink. Um, It's more than just a drink, right? It's bourbon. Oh, yeah. Okay. Isn't that no. your standard drink? No. No, oh. no, oh. at all. Oh, no, I drink wine. Apple, more of an apple teeny gal, are you? Yeah. yeah, yeah. So the bourbon thing with the orange and all that was—it took some time to get used to, but it's pretty good if it's if it's made right. Not that I'm a big, you know, drinker, but I would ask my cousin if this is—you know—there's different names for it. An old-fashioned sweet or straight or those you know what i'm talking about nope okay great um <laughs> <laughs> anyway moving along i don't know what i'm talking about okay <laughs> so you are in the navy that's true and you are besides having so much fun overseas what is your job what do you do uh, well, currently, I'm an operational planner for NavSent. And what that means is any of the plans that are happening, I'm part of the process of seeing what our response would be to any threat to the maritime domain in the Middle East. So in charge of the Persian Gulf, Gulf of Oman, North Arabian Sea, Gulf of Aden, Red Sea, territorial waters around Egypt, Jordan and Lebanon. That's a pretty hefty duty position. How long? Yeah. Have you been that? Uh, just for a few months since since May. Okay. Last year. Wow. So how much longer are you over there for? Am I? Till May of this year. Okay. <laughs> just a twelve month gig. Okay. Well, that's good. It's almost. It's almost over. Almost. Over the hump, over halfway, ready to get on to, I don't know, maybe a place where I'm not so threatened every day Yeah, that based on my location. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. What are your plans for when you get back? What do you want uh, to do or what do you get to do? I've got orders back to Oklahoma City, working for the Navy and Tinker Air Force Base, and I'm not sure exactly what I'm going to do. Yeah. We'll find out when I get there. That's fun too. Get to find out right when you get back. Is there any, I, I'm not sure how the Navy works. Um, if it's the same as the army where you get 
you know, a certain number of locations, you get to rank order them on where you want to go to next. Do they do that as well? Um, I mean, it's a discussion with, with someone that's from my community. So really, I mean, the, the guy is someone that I know and I'm like, Hey, want to go back. There's a normal kind of sea and shore rotation in the Navy. So this is my disassociated sea tour being in the Middle East for a year. Mm-hmm. Go back. I'll do some kind of office job. I'm sure before uh, retiring. I'm hitting 20 years this summer, and I'm pretty excited. That's awesome. So when you get to drop your paperwork? Yeah, we'll we'll see. Yeah. Currently not not quite done with the Navy just yet, but it's nice to know that I have the ability to leave whenever it is that I want to leave. Yeah. That's I, I that's really great. I, I commend you on that because twenty years is a is a long time, I think, for anybody. But now I'm starting to see people stay in for thirty and I'm like, God bless you. That's so that's a long time, but I guess we, we just need people like that that know what they're doing, that are committed and not just in for several different reasons. But um so what else do you do besides your full-time job as a, a Navy soldier, Navy officer. What do you like to do on the side? Are you working on any other projects? I see that you have another podcast. I do. I do have the Nonprofit Architect podcast. You can find me all over the internet. I'm on iTunes, Google Play, Libsyn, Stitcher, all those sites, or you can go to my site directly at Nonprofit Architect org and I interview nonprofit leaders and business leaders uh, to get the behind the scenes advice and the how-to to help you build a stronger nonprofit that's awesome I think that's really needed I work with a non well yes it's a it's a nonprofit out of Arizona and I know there's a lot of challenges because we have a um, I can't think of the word right now until we could get our full nonprofit status, we have to work with somebody else in the middle to help us out with funding. Oh, you don't have a, you know, yet you're a nonprofit, but don't yet have your 501c3 status. Yes. And she has a lot of challenges with that. So it's, I mean, she's getting it done, but it, it is difficult. And I've never, I've never had to experience that, experience that before. So it's, yeah. <laughs> we have a, it, it, it's tough, right? Yeah. There's a reason that, that I have a podcast, a reason it's so popular. We hit number four on iTunes last year. It's pretty exciting. Um, It's tough. And I'm actually have an appointment to speak with Patrick Kirby, who was a guest on my show a few weeks ago. He runs Do Good Better Network. Yeah. And he's out of Fargo, North Dakota. He's been a fundraiser for many years. He has received a $3 million yes before, which is phenomenal and fantastic. But the actual topic of our interview is going to be why you should never start a nonprofit. <laughs> Both of us in the nonprofit world doing nonprofit things and our first, his first podcast uh, for his new show was going to be five reasons why you should never start a, a, a nonprofit. Oh man, I'm going to have to listen to that because now I'm curious. <laughs> There's well, so it, out there. But there is, there's far too many out there. And, and the thing is that, it, that it's tough and it should be tough. 
But the thing that people don't understand before they start one is just how difficult it is. And our goal is not to necessarily discourage someone from getting into the nonprofit game, but understand that starting a new one is impossibly hard, impossibly hard. Mm -hmm. And especially if you haven't done your research, if you haven't done an ask campaign and see what's going on in your area or your arena, and you don't find the people that really need help and understand that there is a group helping them, helping them or there is not a group helping them. You need to know that difference and understand that most of the time it's not valuable or worth your time to start a new nonprofit. Wow. Okay. So maybe I won't do what I wanted to do three years ago. <laughs> <laughs> I'll have to listen and, and figure that out. Well, it, it depends on where you're at, right? Because if, if you have your own business and you have profits, you have you know excess money, there's things you can do to, help another nonprofit meet the need that you're trying to meet. You can help them with fundraisers and, and doing your own fundraiser and then just gifting them the money. That's valuable stuff. If you have that burning desire and you want to go help someone out, go see who's doing what you want to do. Go volunteer, go help them out and see how you can help improve that organization. Because if they're not going to do what you want to do and then you want to go compete against them, now you are possibly taking money from them and neither one of you are able to help the group you were trying to help in the first place. Yeah. So understanding where the real need is, is important. If you, you know, see something on the news and you see, we have all this kind of explosive giving out there, help with the hurricane fund for Puerto Rico. That's fantastic. But if you're in trying to get into that game for the money, you're already on the wrong page. Mm-hmm. There's money to be made in nonprofit work, but not early and not often. When you have people that make $100,000 a year, $200,000 a year in the nonprofit world, that's because they're in an organization that's been around for 20 plus years and they're bringing in millions upon millions of dollars a year and it makes sense to pay their executive director that much money. But if you're trying to replace your income that you're getting now through nonprofit work, no. that just doesn't make any sense. Yeah. You're more worried about your salary before the people you're trying to help. That's, that's never going to work. That makes sense. I really believe in the networking and collaborating with other people. And that's what I feel like I'm trying to do now because there are other people doing what I want to do. And I feel like it's, it's so, it's more impactful if you work together to try to do something rather than I do my thing, they do their thing. And I think it's, depending on who I talk to, they get excited about it. like, oh, that's so awesome that you're doing, you're an advocate for mental health or whatever, because that's, you know, we would love to have you on board and see how we can work together. And, and I, I love that idea. I think it's, I think it's great. I think more people should do it rather than starting to build up all these nonprofits for various reasons, just work together. I think you can make more of an impact that way. Well, I mean, right now, if we're, we're talking, we're both, we're both military at one point or another, and there's more than 51,000 veteran nonprofits in the U.S. You can't tell me that they can't work together to get some of these things done. Yeah. Do we need another one? Do we need a new one? Maybe, maybe not. Mm -hmm. If you listen to my second episode with my interview with Dave Berlin, uh, he's a veteran and he's the head of Bunker Labs in Las Vegas, which is a great way if you are a veteran to get 
your own business started. It will show you how to do all the ins and outs. Yeah. But the long and the short of our interview is they found ways to have a little, I don't know, do push-ups for vets. And they had a push-up competition and they raised a little money and then they gave it to a veteran organization and it was fantastic. Mm-hmm. But the biggest thing you can get from that interview is collaboration over competition. Work together. Find a way to work with these organizations. Find a way to contribute to help. Starting a new organization is a wonderful thought, but it is impossibly difficult. Mm-hmm. Very rare is the organization that jumps in and gets $200,000 of donations in their first year. Yeah. I know several, you know, five years and younger that are working on getting their first 10000 Now, does it happen? It does happen. But it's along the lines of the same odds you have of winning the Powerball mega jackpot. Mm-hmm. It's just not really a thing. Yeah. I find that it's hard, especially with the small one and you're only about a year or two old and you're trying to get sponsors and donors and all that. And people, it's almost like they don't, I don't want to say they don't take you seriously, but they're, they're looking at your margin. Like, what are you, you know, how many people are you impacting? How many have you had show up to an event? How many of this? And it's so hard because you're trying to prove yourself and you're trying to, you know, tell your story on why this is so, why this is so important to you, why you want to do this and your mission, but it, it is hard. It's hard to even get small donors and small sponsors and small people to attend your events. And it's just, it's, it's stressful. And I, and I feel terrible sometimes because there's nothing, you just have to keep, you got to keep proving yourself. You have to keep going out there. You keep, ha- you have to keep sharing your story and it's, I don't know. I mean, she's trying so hard and it's, it, it, well, it's tough, right? So you have, you have two basic types of nonprofits. You have a nonprofit that has a direct impact, like a nonprofit that feeds the homeless. If I give you money to your organization, you're going to take that money. You're going to turn it to, to hot meals. And you're going to deliver it to the homeless. It makes perfect sense. If I give you a hundred dollars, I don't know the number, maybe 200 people get fed, let's say. Mm-hmm. If you are running a nonprofit to help people with PTSD, it's a fantastic cause, but how do you quantify what it is that you're doing? Yes. It is much harder to come up with a mission statement or an impact statement that's, that makes sense. Mm-hmm. It's harder. It might be easier to tell that story than the story of, of feeding the homeless people, but that story has to be so well-crafted that it impacts each donor and has that emotional reaction to where they feel they have to give mm-hmm. in order to do that. But to get to that point is hard. It is really hard. Yeah. So those organizations really have to have things like t-shirts and hats right. and coins and dog tags and whatever it is that they have to show their, their swag off mm-hmm. because they're going to make most of their impact and most of their donations through selling an item, a thing that shows that the person can wear that they show in their support for what it is that you're doing right. because a direct, you know, blank check signed over is going to be much harder to land those checks because it doesn't really, you can't really tell exactly you know, if I give you a thousand dollars, what is this going to do? Well, we're going to use this to fire up our new program, which may or may not help people suffering from this problem. Mm-hmm. It's a much, much, much harder sell. That makes sense. Good tips. <laughs> <laughs> I'm remembering all that because you're right. It is. It's, it's got to be, 
I think right now it's based off of merchandise or, you know, just representing for the cause because it, it is hard until people get in there and actually do the workshops that we're trying to offer or the classes or this or that. It's hard to prove anything. So it's, it's hard, hard to prove. How do you, how do you show proof that someone's healed? Yeah. How do you show proof that out of the, you know, 11 people that, that took your class, um, in the you know, case of a veteran, none of them have committed a suicide. Is it after one year? Is it after five years? Is that 10 years after taking your course? How do you, how do you quantify that? Wow. It's tough. It's yeah. really tough. And I'm not saying these causes aren't worthwhile and aren't worth donating to. Mm -hmm. I'm saying it's hard to raise the money to do the things that you really want to do yeah. when you don't have that direct impact. Right. Now, say you offer the new t-shirt that your team came up with and say, for a $25 a month recurring giving, I'll give you this free new t-shirt of your choice. Mm -hmm. And you can build up recurring donations to build some kind of nest egg to plan on every month. Fantastic. Yeah. But if you just say, hey, come on and uh, give us money because we like veterans, it's going to be tough. Right. And then you have the problem of people that are trying to help veterans are trying to market to veterans as donors. Yeah. And that may or may not be your donor pool. You yeah. may be looking for organizations that are looking for a veteran cause to support or a business that would love to say that they support veterans through your organization. Mm -hmm. But the hard thing is, is they're not marketing to the donor. They're marketing to the people that will use their service. And, you know, a case of, of me and you would probably be veterans. Mm -hmm. So you're marketing to the people that you're trying to help, which means you're not going to raise the money you want to raise. Okay. No, this is so good. <laughs> I have to take another, like a separate course from you because this is, yeah. Oh my gosh. So many good things to think about And Yeah, you're so right. Okay. Let's move on to, I want to know about your background. Did you grow up in a military family? Are you the only one? Was there serving in different branches or how did that, how do you determine to join the Navy? Well, you know, I really don't know exactly how to answer your question because my, although my dad was in the Navy in the seventies, and then he got out for eight years and then got in the reserves. He wasn't, I wasn't living with him. Mm -hmm. Right. So he and all his brothers had served my, uh, my great uncle, my grandfather's brother, he landed on the beaches in Normandy on Omaha beach and lived to tell the tale about it. But, um, you know, my background, my growing up is, is probably a lot different than most people's. I'm out here in the kingdom of Bahrain, and this is move number 49 for me. Wow. Most of my moves were before I graduated high school. 36 moves before high school was over to include 12 schools, five foster homes, living with different family members, trailer parks, and other places that we, you know, wherever we found to hang out. Mm -hmm. So why did you choose the Navy then versus the <laughs> Army? Well, I know you're an Army vet. And I don't have anything against the Army. 
but I was thinking about what I wanted my life to look like. My dad's like, do you want to carry everything you own everywhere you go, get hot and sandy and get shot at? And I was like, no. And he's like, well, you probably don't want the Army of the Marine Corps. So you're looking at the Navy or the Air Force. And so I went and talked to the Air Force and they asked about my criminal background if I had more than a parking ticket. And I said that I did. And they said that they weren't particularly interested because I wasn't as clean cut as they'd prefer. So I said, hello, Navy. And they so were more than happy to take me in. They were. So you like it enough to stay in for 20 years. Well, it likes a strong word. That's true. Um, That's true. Well, you, you look at your options. And, you know, with my background, my grades were, were pretty poor. I didn't really have a, a good family name. I was in a small town in northern Minnesota. There really weren't a lot of opportunities. No one was banging on my door to give me an internship or send me to college. There wasn't a family business. Mm-hmm. There was not a whole lot of options, and I joined the Navy as an E1, bottom of the barrel. I didn't make twelve grand my first full year in the Navy because paychecks weren't even a thousand dollars back then for the whole stinking month. Oh um, and you get to the end of four years, and I'm an E5, and I've got a wife and a baby, and I'm like, well, am I going to stick with this thing? And I looked at the options available to me, and there weren't any. There were no options. Mm-hmm. So I re-enlisted for six years, ended up making first class. That's E6 for you army types. <laughs> looking at you. <laughs> um, and I started looking at my options. It was about my nine year mark and my wife and I, we went up home to Minnesota and, and looked around and there was no real career opportunities in our area or both claim to be from the same town, you know, where I ended up at. And there's just nothing up there. And I was like, well, what about this officer thing? I could probably do this officer thing. You know what? I've done some stuff. I'm not completely worthless like I used to be. And um, I gave it a shot. I applied for the Seaman to Admiral program. If that didn't work, I was going to apply to be an LDO, a limited duty officer. If that didn't work, I was going to finish my degree. I was going to apply for OCS. And if they said no, I was going to go to the Army and give them a shot. But as luck would have it, I know it's a long way, right? As luck would have it, my first, uh, my first application for Seaman to Admiral program, they said yes. And they sent me to the University of Oklahoma full-time, and I got my degree in a year and a half. Went down to flight school, finished up flight school in under a year, and went back and got my wings of gold and flew 1,400 hours for the Navy out of Tinker Air Force Base in Oklahoma. Holy crap. That's impressive. <laughs> Why? Yeah. Wow. So do you fly now? Or that was Well not out not out here. Oh, I'm out here doing right. doing a planning job, but that's right. But when yeah. you get back, is that your is that what you do? Oh, I'm excited to get back into a flight suit, let me tell you that right now. They're so comfy. It's like wearing your PJs to work. Oh, perfect. <laughs> Just like what you're doing now. Yeah. <laughs> I am not in my PJs, <laughs> although I'm about as comfy as I would be in PJs. That's what matters, and as long as you're comfy. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh! Well, that's I'm glad it worked out for you because, yeah, you know, army people, we're all mm. special. <laughs> Their window looking good. <gasps> 
I'm I'm kidding. (laughs) My best friend is in the army or was in the army. Brian Paul, he's an amazing individual. He runs Veterans for Life USA and his organization is fantastic. They connect veterans in need to services for free. I need to contact him. Okay. (laughs) His network is spreading all over the U.S. He's got partners in, I think, 13 states right now. Uh, And he's growing faster beyond belief. He's a wonderful man. He's going to turn 45 this year. He plays semi-pro football. He was in a movie that was just released, The Turkey Bowl. He's one of the quote-unquote bad guys in the movie. He's the the linebacker, whatever his position is, where he clotheslines the star of the movie in the Turkey Bowl. It's uh, it's pretty hilarious. Fantastic. Yeah, yeah. He's a fun guy. All of his posts are working out or him eating Twinkies. It's wonderful. Very nice. Wow, he's going to be 45. You do have friends that are old. 45 is not old. Let's say 45 is just almost to where you might be considered, you know, a mature individual. Oh, finally. I'm glad I'm going to finally hit that (laughs) Maturity, here I come. Oh, adulting. That's so cool. Oh, so tell me something that you don't really often talk about. Like, well, like a truth that you hide. Is there something that you, that you have experienced in the past that you have overcame and then can give advice to other individuals that are going through the same thing? Well, I don't know if those are the same asks, but I'm definitely going to answer the second one, you know, going, being, uh, in five foster homes, you go through periods where you think that you're not worth anything that you don't have any value as a person, that you don't have any options, that you don't have don't have anything to look forward to. Mm-hmm. I was very fortunate. I know there's kind of a stigma about foster homes. Uh, the foster homes I was in were some of the most caring people I've ever met. To be able to be a foster parent and open your home, open your family, expose your life to the kids that need it, and consequently the parents that are not happy that their kids are in foster homes, uh, you all are saints. And if you're listening to this show, I want to thank you from the bottom of my heart. Um, But you have to understand that there's things that you can do in this life. You can choose your own adventure. You know, fortunately for me, the Navy waived all my, my criminal history, my criminal record, and they allowed me to join And when I got into the Navy, I found out that it doesn't matter who your parents are. It doesn't matter what school you went to. It doesn't matter what your grades were. It doesn't matter what your family name is. It doesn't matter about all the stuff that happened to you. You get wiped clean in boot camp. You go to PT, and those that are scrawny gain some weight, and those that are tubby lose some weight, and they come out fit, ready to fight, ready to do good things for the country. And everyone follows this set of rules and they say things like show up to work. So you show up to work on time, shaved with a good haircut or in the right uniform, ready to go to work. And then they promote you. And you're like, man, this is great. Making less than 12 grand a year sucked. You know? 
and you start doing good stuff and you start getting the qualifications because you see what happens to people that don't get qualified. So you got all these qualifications are like, man, we really like this guy. And they promote you again. Now you're in charge of all the people that don't have any qualifications and you have them and you're like, man, this sucks. I don't like doing this alone. So you get everyone else qualified. They're like, wow, this guy's got leadership. So they promote you again. And pretty soon <laughs> you've just followed the rules, done what was asked of you, maybe just a little bit more, maybe 10 minutes a day. And before you know it, you're head and shoulders above all these other people. And it's not that they're not doing good stuff. You're just doing just a little bit better. And you can choose to do and be whatever it is that you want to be. See, I'm a firm believer that you have to know what options are available to you. And you have to know that you can do those things and that they apply to you. And once you know those three things, then you can go and do the thing. I remember living in trailer parks where no one had any money and everyone had a garbage car and you could punch through the wall because it was just this really shitty wood paneling that didn't have anything behind it. And it didn't look like there was any hope for anything. I remember being at three different schools four different times in my life during the same grade. Three places in kindergarten, three places in second grade, three places in fourth grade, three places in seventh grade. It happens. It was until like the fourth grade I figured out I'm the only one moving all the time. But I had the option to do good things. And I did good things for a long time. And I got to a point growing up where I was just sick of all the running around. I was sick of not knowing where I was gonna to go to bed that night, if I was gonna come home and my mom was gonna be sane or insane. I didn't know if we were gonna eat that night. I didn't know any of those things and I just got tired of it. I started stealing things, I started lying, I started cheating in board games because even cheating to win a board game or a stupid card game made me feel good because I didn't have a lot of other things to feel good about. But eventually, you can grow out of that stage, past those things, and start choosing to do good. But by the time I got to high school, I was really, really, really wore out by all of it. See, we were moving because my mom has bipolar disorder. And it's the type of bipolar disorder that has hallucinations attached to it, hmm. which means my mom would see things happening that were horrific, terrifying, downright horrendous, and they would be 100% real to her. She could go to court, pass a polygraph if that's what they needed, testify that those things were real, but they were only in her mind. But that caused us a lot of anguish. We had to move. We had to move some more. I kind of feel like we were using up all the goodwill in the churches in the county based on where we were moving to. But she would go get help, and since she self-reported, she would get uh, maintain custody of my sister and I every time she got back out. But you know, we lived in one place. When she went into the hospital, then we'd have to go live somewhere else. And then when she got out, she had burned whatever bridges, right? She, not paying her rent while she's in the hospital, of course. And we'd have to move someplace new. Oh my goodness. 
so but through all those things, mm -hmm. through all that stuff, I had chose not to do drugs. I had chose not to smoke. I had chose not to drink. And I don't know how I made those choices because all those things were available. Uh, I feel pretty fortunate that I didn't do those things and, and mess my life up even worse. But, you know, getting to the Navy for me was really just a, a, a blank slate and allowed me to build the life that I wanted to build. And I'm proud to say that I have over 19 years in the Navy. I have a wife of 18 years, a daughter that's almost 17 and a son that's almost 12. And I'm pretty excited about the whole thing. My dad must hear me right now because I'm on the camera talking to you and he's trying to give me a call. <laughs> <laughs> um, was your sister able to go with you every time you moved foster homes? Um, just about. There was a time that I went that she didn't go. There was a time that she went to live with dad when I lived to live with grandma. Mm. Uh, we were split up a couple of times, but our lives are vastly different. She stayed in that area, and I chose to leave and join the Navy. Mm -hmm. Our lives are, you wouldn't be able to tell that we're siblings at all if you looked at our lives right now. Mm -hmm. I um, I'm speechless i i'm just so grateful that you are as positive as you are right now and that you are as successful as you are because i can't imagine that life and i mean i've known people that have been adopted or went through foster care but i didn't even know until they were well into their adult years and you just the people that they turned out to be was just amazing because they chose to you know live a successful life or as as best as they could so I, I i mean i thank you for sharing that because that i can't i can't imagine but um it is exciting to see <laughs> your your personality and all the things that you're doing i i mean gosh it's it's fantastic and i and i just you know i hope that you can share that or have that positivity reflect on other people that are, are listening because you've come a long way and I you know I've just met you um virtually <laughs> a few months ago and it feels like we've been friends for for a long time and you just have that that personality and, and it's it is so awesome I, I just uh, I love it so thank you for sharing that and well thanks for, for the thanks for the kind words in that I mean it's it's, it's one thing to, there's so many people that, that, that have a hard time with their past. And although I sound very confident on our pre-recorded episode here, you know, there's times when I completely break down and, uh, you know, I've got like the ugly cry going on, like snot bubbles, like stuff's everywhere, right? That happens. Yeah. I don't post it. On, I don't post it on my Facebook, but you know, that stuff happens. Uh, it's, it's one of those things that I, when I say that, you know, you can choose your own adventure, I, I really mean it. Mm -hmm. You know, we didn't have any money growing up, you know, in Northern Minnesota, all the cool kids played hockey and everyone in my house couldn't afford to, to play hockey. Mm -hmm. You know, I remember having to be a janitor at the high school for 
a certain amount of hours to earn enough money to go to driver's ed because we couldn't afford the $150 to pay for driver's ed. Wow. You know, I remember all of those things, but you can choose to do the things that you want to do. I remember Zig Ziglar talking about a pair of brothers that he met when he went to a funeral. It was their dad that passed away and he spoke to the first brother and he said, yeah, tell me about yourself. I, I see that you've, you know, snuck a beer into the funeral here. He's like, I'm an alcoholic, just like my dad. You see, I had no choice. My dad was an alcoholic. And then he met the other brother who is the CEO of a fortune 500 company. And he said, well, how does this happen? I don't understand. He's like, you see, my dad was an alcoholic. I had no choice. Both brothers felt like they had no choice, but one's no choice was I can only follow the example given to me. And the other one's no choice was I can't possibly do the things that my dad does because I see what kind of pain it caused in, in his life and our lives. So they both had the choice. Yeah. What are you going to do with your day? What are you going to do with your tomorrow? What are you going to do with your next year? You get to choose. Wow. That's, that's pretty deep, but it's so true. You're right. I, it makes me think about how I knew that I had depression and anxiety and, you know, living with PTSD and all that, but I had to choose to just live with it and just talk about it rather than suffer because I was suffering for so long and I was always down. I was always sad. I didn't want to do anything. So I just finally had to say, okay, you know what? I'm living with it and it's just me, but I'm going to choose to be present for my kid and for, you know, choosing to try to help other people. I had to choose. So Mm -hmm. yeah, you're right. I just, it is, you have to decide what kind of life you want to live. You have to make that choice. I, I try to, to paint a picture when I talk about some of these things, something like PTSD, the people holding on, it's like they're, it's like they're holding on to a cactus. And the, the more they hold on, the more it hurts. And sometimes it's just better to let go. Is it going to hurt while you let go? It is. But over time those wounds are going to heal and sharing your story, sharing your experience, like my past or your PTSD, anxiety, and depression, sharing those stories, especially on a forum like you have here with your podcast, allows other people to know that the thing that they're going through, the thing they're they're struggling with is that they're not alone. There's other people going through it because that's the, that's the great fear, right? That's the, that's the big secret is, is the people that they think, they're alone in their struggle right and that's one of the biggest lies going it's got a bestseller you can see it all over the place everyone's buying it right but just because everyone's buying it doesn't make it true you're right you're absolutely right well thank you so much travis for being on here honestly it's it's uh it's such an honor i was really excited um I just, Is it because I'm professional? Yes, because you're a professional. <laughs> <laughs> you're a professional and you're in the Navy and you're just so cool. <laughs> but um, yeah, no, I, I, I'm truly honored to have you on here and I can't wait to see all the other things that you're going to do after retirement and just with your life because you've, you're just a great human being. And so I appreciate it. 
Well, thank you so much for the kind words and uh, don't sell yourself so short, Mrs. I already retired from the army and I have a successful group and a podcast that's rolling. Oh, I've only done 12 interviews. It doesn't matter. That's 12 on your way to 1200. You're doing great. You're don't right. Sell yourself short. You're right. Thank you. And the first thing I had to do is just push record and it was over after that. And I love it. So thank you so much. <laughs> hey, thanks for having me on. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of the Truth We Hide podcast. Today's guest is Travis Johnson. He is an active duty naval officer currently serving in the Middle East. He is the founder of the Nonprofit Architect, helping you build a stronger nonprofit, and also the founder of Warrior's Wallet, cutting through the BS and shame surrounding personal finance. I hope you enjoy his podcast and stay tuned for the notes section in which you can find all of his links.